morning, everybody, and good morning to those at home. Um, You notice how I'm dressed appropriately for preaching this morning. (laughs) The sad thing is I've only been judged twice this morning. Well, Steph didn't really judge me. She just questioned, you know, the prodigal son has returned to bring the message. But Andrew did. He climbed right into me and said, why are you looking like that? Where's the court in time? I know. I went to a funeral yesterday of uh, a good mate of mine, and this is what we were told to wear. Um, But there were people there that were stuck in tradition and wore suits or jackets. It was at the Mount. We walked down the beach. We threw flowers into the sea. Chris was an amazing guy, and I'll talk more about him a bit later on, but um, it didn't affect me yesterday, but it's going to get me today. So love or judge? Interesting, um, Craig convicted me uh, last week in his sermon. I was listening to an old sermon of mine uh, that was recorded here, and I talked about a thousand people giving their lives to Jesus. And Craig was talking about when you have a passion about something, you've got to follow through an action like Nehemiah. You've actually got to take it and work with it. I planted a seed of a thousand people to come to Christ. But in about the six months since I gave that message, I don't believe I've done much to do that. I want to read uh, Matthew 25. And if you've got your Bibles, look it up. Matthew 25, verse 31. The Son of Man will judge the nations. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer and say to Say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now we know the second part of that talks about the other side, that the same thing happened. Judge or love? Love or judge? I started thinking about preaching about um, judgment when a friend of mine, a very good friend, very good Christian, um, about, I suppose, 15 years ago, she separated. She was in an abusive uh, marriage, four children, um, and she got out of that. She'd given her life to Jesus. And she became a pillar in the church. She became an elder, um, bringing up four young boys. But just recently, um, she's met somebody in the church, who is separated but not divorced. Um, So they've 
started an arrangement. They've become good friends, and I think become more than good friends. But the people that she believed in and have led to Christ and have preached to and have given poured out all her love to have judged her. To the point that one woman said that you'll end up in hell, the Holy Spirit will desert you. I mean, what gives us the right to judge? I was also going to preach on Psalm 23 this morning. And I've been listening to uh, Philip Johnson at Bethel Church. And uh, it was, uh, he preached a sermon on lordship based on Psalm 23. And I think if you get a chance, look it up um, and listen to the podcast or watch him. I think it's really worth watching. But he read um, from three... He talked about um, how he studies the Bible... And, but he looks at different translations, okay? Just to get it. And the 23rd Psalm, who knows the 23rd Psalm? Everybody learnt it at some stage. Um, when I take funerals sometimes, whether they are Christians or not, they all want the 23rd Psalm. Why, I'm not sure, because we should really be living it right from day one. But I'll talk about that another time. But the three translations he uses is one from the New King James, which is the study Bible. One is the Passion, and one is the Amplified. Now, Bible Gateway won't put the Passion on their website. They've judged it to be not a true translation. Now, it just got me thinking, because I've, I've read it, and um, actually, if you'd like, I'd read it to you now, just to give you some context about it. Because it's interesting that scholars are judging it. Yahweh is my best friend and shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to the oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and leads me along in footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honour to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. For you have already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes my, away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. I always look at that picture of Jesus feeding the disciples after he's risen at the beach. You know, they've been out fishing and he's feeding them. He is our delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink, and you, until my cup overflows. So why would I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Amen. Amen. Amazing translation, but for some, whether it's other parts of the Bible, it, it's not quite enough. And if you look at the Pharisees, they, they were the judges and rules. And if we look at religion in a lot of churches, they are the judges and the rules. 
It's all about control. The unfortunate thing is we've become the bigots and dictators as well. As people looked at me and judged me for the clothing I, I'm wearing, we looked at other members of church, how they came in, whether they had happy faces or sad faces. We judged the singing performance. Yesterday I judged the people that were bringing stories about Chris's life. One went on and on and on <laughs> and on. But it was something that she needed to say and for somebody else there to hear. It wasn't for me to judge. It's too easy to judge. So in our um, sheets, we've got love or judge and reading from Luke. And if you want to look along at your sheets, it's got six, three, uh, 37 to 42. Do not judge others. You will not be judged. Do not condemn others or you will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be determined and the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Forty students are not greater than their... Ch uh, Verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student is fully trained, will become like the teacher. And the why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friends, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrites, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I've got logs. I've got a forest in my eyes. Like, um, if I could transport it and put it on a ship and send it overseas, I'd make lots of money. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that I judge everything. Sadly, I judge everything. But if we go a bit further forward in Luke to verse 27, it says, love your enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spiritually use you, spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one also. And from him that takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do likewise to them. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, 
hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful to you. Just let that sink in. We invite people for dinner all the time, but they're generally our friends. We help out people that we know, but sometimes we're not available when somebody else needs a hand. We drive past people on the side of the street. When we go to the market, we judge the people sitting at the gate begging. Are they doing it? I mean, how can they afford a cell phone? They're on their cell phone, yet they're sitting here begging for money or food. But I don't know their backstory. My friend Chris, I know his backstory. I met him about 20 years ago when he came back from Australia. His, uh, he'd fallen out with his business partner. He had very entrepreneurial, Chris. Um, he's 10 years younger than me. Uh, on, um, just before Christmas, he was diagnosed with a form of leukaemia. And um, they weren't sure how bad it was. Um, but in February, 18th of February, they, after doing some bone marrow testing, um, they gave him two weeks to live. Chris lived for nine weeks. Uh, and in that time, he had some stuff in his mind that he needed to sort out. People that he had judged. Um, and he rang up people. People in Australia that had wronged him, he forgave and asked them to forgive him. He got his affairs in order. Chris, when he came back from Australia, got into real estate, and him and I worked together, and um, Chris can talk, uh, but he can talk too much and forget to ask for the order. Um, unfortunately, he didn't last in real estate. His marriage flew apart. Uh, Vicky um, left him. And at that time, you'd think Chris was down and out. He was a drinker, an alcoholic. Um, so there's a lot going on in his life. But he did start to push into God. He went to the mountain, lived under the mount in a caravan, in a pink caravan, and that's where he survived. And he survived by washing windows at the mount in the business area. In exchange for food, I think he lived on Turkish for about two years, um, because that was, that was his go-to. It was straight from his office, his home, um, across the road, and he'd wash the Turkish, and they would feed him. But Chris started talking to people about his love of Christ. He started sharing the gospel about his love. He stopped judging people. And there was lots of people he could have judged. Um, once he got out of the... He left real estate. He actually got into a business. He's very entrepreneurial. He took a health house. I don't know whether you know health house from 5,000 um, members to 50,000 members. And then there was a change of direction in that, and they, they chucked him out in an in unceremonious way because the family had came back and wanted to get involved. But he, through that, never lost his faith in Christ. Never lost his faith in Christ. He had three houses at that time and a bus 
because he was going to go evangelising around the country and open this bus up with all these speakers and play all this music. And a bit eccentric, Chris. I mean, if you've met him, he, he wears, used to wear a white T-shirt, pair of board shorts and jandals, white hair, and half the time he'd have his shirt off because he'd be super tanned. Um, he just either loved him or you hated him. But once you got to know him, you couldn't help but love him. So what are we going to do in our lives to be like Chris? To throw off the boundaries and the shackles? To take the logs out of our own eyes? I mean, we can do it tiny steps. Tiny steps. Go a day without judging. Try and get through breakfast. I've already judged my wife twice this morning. <laughs> Didn't even leave the house. How can I love my wife better to the glory of God? How can I love her like my father loves me? How can I switch it around to be love, not judge? How can I switch it from walking past people without understanding what's causing them to sit there? I'm always reminded of that story of the the bus pulls in, it's full of people. This man and his children get onto the bus and he takes his seat and they move on and the kids are running amok, squealing and running up and down the aisle. Squealing is one of my pet hates. My children know that, the cars stop and they're put outside straight away. But everybody on the bus is starting to do the county controller's kids, you know, the stage whisper. County controller's kids. You know, what sort of a father is he? Till finally one person gets up and goes to him and says, can't you control your kids? Can't you get them to sit down? And he said, we've just buried their mother this morning. We don't know where people are at. We know where we're at or where we think we're at, but we don't know. One of the things that COVID has done is I don't know whether you know this, but you need eight hugs a day just for maintenance. It's been scientifically proven that if you're getting 12 or more hugs a day, you're less likely to catch the flu, have stress-related diseases, probably even turn the COVID away because it changes your molecular system. I don't know how it does. I've got an article here to t explain it if I wanted to. But four is survival. Four hugs a day is survival. We can't go out and hug people. My mate, my old flatmate, he used to be head of child, youth and young persons. And he knew that the children needed hugs, but the system doesn't allow hugs because of a few people that hug inappropriately. So anybody that's in a position to hug, please hug. Uh, if you find some, uh, if your bubble, extend your bubble to have more hugs, I think that's important. Um, this, is, this is by the Gospel of Logan, more hugs. Because <laughs> I'm a hugger, really. So. so where to from here? Your choice when you leave here is to make change. 
you can come here and sit here and suck up the word and leave here and be happy for the rest of the day. Or you can take what you've learned today and do something with it. You can ring up somebody who has wronged you and ask for you've wronged and ask for forgiveness. If you can't ring, it's too tough, write them a letter. You can pray for somebody. Chris was never scared of sharing his faith. Never scared of sharing his faith. But he didn't force his faith on people either. He would build his friendship over time. I started giving him uh, the word for the day. In the first few months, he only wanted one. But then he was getting more than I was getting. He was getting 12, 13 because he was talking to people and giving them the word for the day. He took it upon himself to get 20 and then get more and more. He started buying Bibles and sending them overseas and giving them to people. He's got two amazing kids. Were they perfect to begin with? No. A bit like Chris, I think. He he used to find cars before they were missing. (laughs) And I think uh, his son might have done the same. But through all that, God continues to love him. God judged David when he went with Bathsheba. Through Nathan, went and spoke to him about it and told him what would happen. God never left David. There was consequences in David's lifetime because of that. But God never left him. God's never going to leave you. God's never going to leave my friend who's now in a relationship with somebody else. The Holy Spirit's not going to leave her either because Jesus, I know, is inside her. And where Jesus is, God is. And where God is, the Holy Spirit is. Is the Holy Spirit in you this morning? Is Jesus in you this morning? Is God with you this morning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to bring the word this morning. And even though my mind and my words at times have been jumbled, I pray that you have used them, that you've put filters on people's minds so that they can take from it what you require them to take. That they will use the words that I've spoken this morning that they will be blessed by this morning, that they will talk about it long after, Lord, like I'll always talk about Chris, because he was a disciple of yours. He gave when he had nothing. He gave people shelter when they had nowhere else to go. He gave away his washing machine, because people didn't have a washing machine to uh, to do the washing, and his electric jug and his toaster, several times over. Let us be givers of love, Lord. Ron Mark is no longer the um, Minister of Defence in New Zealand, but he is busy organising with other Christians food and help into the Ukraine. 
He's using what skills he's got to help others, Lord. And I just pray that you can use us to help others. Whether it be our neighbour, person down the street, family member. But Lord, we need to be working with you, for you, and guided by you. So Lord, I just pray that you bless this congregation. You bless, bless the people that they touch. You bless the people that are listening online. And we just give everything up to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.